Hey guys, before we start the show, can you feel something changing, something changing in the air? It smells a little different when you walk outside. It's, it's got maybe some parts of the country getting a little colder out. You know what that means? It means it's football season. It's coming upon us and you know, maybe not all libertarians love football, but it's okay to love football. It's okay to need a distraction from the craziness that we all uh, have to deal with in today's modern world. And what we do on Lines of Liberty, we have a great bonus show called Degenerate Gamblers. Myself, Brian McWilliams, and Rico, we uh, go through our weekly bets every week. We have a league that we uh, have with our Pride members where we're competing against each other. You can get into that. You can get involved in that if you want to. And we have a show every week, too, of course, where, where we're talking about those those bets and games and, and telling old college stories. It's a really, really freaking awesome show. But on top of that, we've teamed up with an awesome sponsor, Football Insider Edge, and we're going to bring you a deal. Now, now, these guys are bringing great content. They have a great community, awesome research. And what we're offering um, with them is as supporters of this show, they are currently offering you a 20% discount on any of their monthly or full season plans on their website. Just go to footballinsideredge.com and use code LION and checkout to take advantage of this discount today. Doesn't matter if you're just a fantasy football player, if you're a DraftKings or FanDuel, or if you're a degenerate gambler, if you like to bet on every single game. These guys have the content for you to take your, your gambling, to take your fantasy football to the next level. Check out footballinsideredge.com and use code LION at checkout to get a discount on a monthly or full season package today. We are born free. And we will die free. The time in between, though, that's complicated. In that time, governments, institutions, and our egos will limit our ability to find true freedom in this life. These are real stories of real people overcoming the odds, persevering in justice, and unlocking their potential. Welcome to Finding Freedom. Here's your host, John Oderman. Today on Finding Freedom, we welcome back to the show Joe McGee. Uh, if you remember, way back on episode 263, uh, Joe was on the show and he was talking about how he had filed suit um, over enforcement of mask mandates against the mayor of Flagstaff. And uh, maybe we'll get an update about what happened with that as well. But since that point in time, um, some crazy things have happened. Uh, Joe ended up spending uh, some time in jail. Uh, we'll get into maybe a little bit of the details of that, but because it's an open case, we can't. He can't talk about it a lot. Um, I, I think we can say because it's out there and uh, it's out there on a GoFundMe to uh, help to raise money for his legal defense. Um, what ended up happening is his his ex-wife who was set to lose custody of, of their son, um, filed a false police report <coughs> against him. And that, that led to uh, led to his uh, his stay in, in jail, which is still an open case, as I said. And Joe has filed suit, and we'll talk about that. So, Joe, welcome back to Finding Freedom. Thank you. Thank you. Glad to be here. Yeah, man. So, the cra- not not crazy story from my end. The crazy story is on your end. But just to let you know how I found out, that you were you were in jail. Um, I had actually I would I got a, a Twitter ban. I think it was like a month, thirty days, something like that. And uh, so I come back from that. This is I don't know. I guess sometime in I don't even know the months anymore. It was <laughs> a few months ago. And I come back and I'm looking. At, I see a tweet come up from your Twitter handle, and it's your mom <laughs> talking about. You know what's happened, and and you're now you're now in jail. I'm like, what the heck did I miss? What what the heck happened here? So, so I ended up after a little while, and you know, kind of reading back in your timeline, I ended up messaging her. We were going to try to do this, um, you know, through the uh, through the uh, the jail telephone system, but that didn't end up working out. So you ended up getting out, and uh, and here we are. So. Just to give you, I guess, uh, some time here, bring us up to speed. What's happened over the past several months? <laughs> well, um, on June 8th of this year, um, when I was at the Coconino County Courthouse, I was filing an emergency motion uh, for custody of my son. Um, that was based on some evidence that I had obtained um, 
that my ex-wife was again neglecting my son. Uh, my ex-wife had been found by the Arizona Department of Child Safety in 2019 to have engaged in serious neglect of my son um, that resulted in him sustaining life-threatening injuries. Basically, wow. he was left unsupervised uh, when he was three years old. He was left unsupervised in his bedroom with the bedroom window open. Uh, this was a second floor, and there was a toy box or something underneath the window, and he climbed onto it, and then he fell out of the window. He fell 12 oh feet. Oh, God. And it's really a miracle that he survived because below this window were just almost boulders, like large rocks. There was just a tiny patch of grass under there, and that's where he fell. Uh, he did suffer concussion. He suffered an eye injury. Um, obviously, he had you know facial lacerations and contusions all over. Um, but after that, the Department of Child Safety investigated, and they were able to substantiate a finding of serious neglect. Uh, against my ex-wife related to to this. Um, at the time, uh, my son fell out the window. She she told the investigator that she was sleeping. Um, there's there's more to the story than that, but I don't really I don't really want to get into that. Um, sure. Basically, um, so after that finding of neglect, after I found out about that, um, I filed a petition for sole custody of my son um, because we had shared custody uh, after our divorce. So I filed a petition for sole custody. And the reason that I filed that petition, the reason that I stated for filing that petition, I have a reason, um, was the finding by DCS of serious neglect. And that, that alone uh, would have been sufficient um, for, me to, for me to have sole custody. So that, that proceeding, I mean, it took a really long time because COVID slowed everything down. Basically, we were set to go to trial on my petition on July 19th, and June, uh, June 8th, like I said, when I was at the courthouse filing an emergency motion for sole custody, um, I was approached by a Flagstaff police detective and police officer who informed me that I was under arrest for stalking. Um, I was taken to the police station. Uh, I was interviewed. I was booked into the Coconino County Jail, and for the first two weeks, I was held in the COVID quarantine pod, um, that's single cells, and that's that's 23-hour-a-day lockdown with one hour a day outside of your cell in the day room uh, without other inmates. Um, so, you know, for the first two weeks, it was basically, you know, the harshest conditions that they have in jail. That's, that's, you know, that's, that's the whole. Um, so, um, around, I want to say around day 12 or so of quarantine, um, I had some issues with, um, with my neighbor in the neighboring cell. Um, he was just, he would make noise all night long and I, you know, I couldn't get to sleep and I know that there are like jail rules and stuff like that. And, and, you know, you don't, don't snitch or whatever. And it's like, dude, I don't, I don't, I don't care about that. Like, you know, so I, I, um, you know, I, I told him to keep it down. I was trying to sleep and then it just sort of snowballed. And it turns out that he was, uh, he was a member of a, of a jail or prison gang or something. And he had multiple other associates, uh, in that jail. And so, uh, he and some other inmates were actually overheard, uh, plotting on my life. Um, just because wow. of that little, just because of that little confrontation that we had over him being loud. So the jail got word of this. And then I was, I was after COVID, well, I was moved to a different quarantine pod, uh, for four more days. And then after, after quarantine, I was just taken to maximum security, um, you know, maximum security in the whole, and that's where I spent the entire time, the rest of the time, um, you know, my, my detention. So what, what was your, what was your entire time in, uh, in detention? 98 days. 98 days. Um, so yeah, I ended up spending from, uh, June, late June until, September 14th, I spent that time in the hole, in the, in the dis disciplinary pod. Um, you know, I thought it was kind of fishy that, that I was basically, I was getting in trouble for, you know, what, what these other people had done. 
Um, but you know, it is what it is. So I, I, I spent the entire 98 days on 23 hour a day lockdown in my cell. Um, wow. And, yeah. Yeah. Um, and, and, you know, for the first, I want to say for, for really the first half of it, it was just, it was awful. It was just so bad. You know, there's no, you only have one hour a day to make your phone calls. You don't get to choose when your hour out is. Um, it might be, at, they might let you out of your house, of your cell at seven in the morning, or they might let you out at eight o'clock at night. There's no way to schedule phone calls with people. Um, you know, during that hour, that's your time to shower, clean your cell, contact whoever you want to contact. And then after that hour is up, you're, you're back in your cell. Um, so, so, so when you were, when you were in your cell, what did you, like, what did you have in your cell? What, what was, did you have a book even? Did you have something to write with? Did you have, did you have anything? Initially I had nothing. Um, initially, um, I had, I had some legal papers. Um, and so I was using the back of them and the jail has little bitty tiny pencils for inmates that want to make an inmate request or file a grievance or request uh, medical treatment. So I was, um, using the little tiny pencil in the back of my legal paper to, to journal essentially. Um, and once a week there would be a, a librarian that would come around uh, with a book cart and you were allowed two books, but I read really fast. So, you know, I would get books on Thursdays and then by Saturday I would have nothing to read. Um, so it, it really, I mean, you know, in my cell by myself until people started sending me books and stuff like that, I had nothing to do. So it, it sort of became a matter of survival to, to make friends with the other inmates uh, that were in the hole. Um, and so, you know, during your hour out, you know, you can, you can walk by the other cells, you know, and you can see who's in there. And so one of the inmates, probably my third day, uh, he came to my door and he knocked on it and introduced himself. Um, and then he asked me if I wanted to buy some like dream catchers and stuff that, that he made. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, you know, dude, we don't, I don't have money in here. How am I supposed to buy stuff? And uh, he's like, no, 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 you just trade, just trade me sandwiches. Because uh, every morning we'd get a peanut uh, on our breakfast tray. All right, cool. This would be, you know, if nothing else, this would be a way to sort of start making friends with the people in there. Um, I was like, at first, I was like, oh, well, I'm not, I'm just not going to talk to this guy anymore, you know, whatever. But um, and I realized that really wasn't fair because I was in there technically for domestic violence. So, you know, someone could, someone could judge me and say, oh, you know, I'm a domestic abuser, um, you know, and I had, I had the red wristband and everything. I mean, I was, I was highest classification, maximum security, um, but I gave the guy a chance and we ended up becoming friends. And the thing about where I was, where I was held, um, it's not, it wasn't permanent holding for anybody, but me and one other guy uh, who was on the upstairs tier. I mean, because that was the whole, people would go in there for disciplinary reasons. So people would go in for 30, 45, 60 days, and then they'd cycle out. So there was, there was uh, six cells, you know, in the lower tier and six cells in the upper tier. So, you know, every 30 days, not every 30 days, but, you know, on, on, a, on a rotation, new inmates mm-hmm. would come in. And these were, you know, the worst inmates in the jail because they were people in there for disciplinary reasons. Um, people in there for, for fighting with guards, for fighting with other inmates. Um you know, for smuggling stuff, um, very, you know, contraband, whatever. Um, but, um, the, the, you know, the funny thing is, is that I, I made a lot of, <laughs> I made a lot of friends in there. Um, and the, the friends that I made were, you know, they were, they were pretty, they were pretty G, uh, they were, <laughs> they were, they were no joke. I mean, one of, one of my friends in there, uh, was in there for, um, he was he was part of a multi-state armed robbery ring. They would do takeover robberies of jewelry stores and and pawn shops and stuff like that. And um, this guy was also a fake lawyer. He was he was uh, he had been self-represented and he had he'd already sued over over jail conditions and stuff like that. So uh, he ended up giving me a bunch of law books. Um, so you know, mm. towards the end towards the end of my stay, I had you know I I had because I was writing my, my own briefs. So, handwriting which is yeah i ended up making i ended up making a lot of friends um i know it sounds weird you know to make friends with people in jail and not only that people who are the worst of the worst but 
you know, after, after you look beyond someone's charges, you know, you realize that a lot of people that are in jail are in there because not because they're evil, horrible people, but because mm -hmm. for some reason they made very bad decisions. And, you know, there, a lot of us make bad decisions all the time. You know, some of us make bad decisions that are illegal and, and, you know, don't get caught. Well, I'm not saying me, but you know, like people commit crimes all the time that they don't get caught for. Um, yeah. I mean, the average person, I mean, they're not, a lot of these things should not be, you know, against the law, but the average person commits three felonies a day, according right. to uh, Harvey Sil Silverglade. So, <laughs> right. yeah, I mean, yeah, pe people make dumb decisions. Um, yeah, and some people get caught for it. Other people don't get caught for it, but right. Yeah. So, um, yeah, I made a bunch of friends. I, my, my best friend now is someone that I met in there. He's, uh, being sentenced on Friday to 38 years. Um, I'm going to speak wow. on his behalf. I'm going to speak on his behalf at his, at his sentencing because, um, I mean, a lot of these guys have been held in here for two, two and a half years because of COVID. You know, it, it's just been, that's how long it's taken to, to go to trial and, and get a sentence and stuff like that. Um, but, you know, at some, for some, at some points, you know, when I was in there, I really, I had to lean very heavily on those guys for support because it's like, you know, I miss my son who, who I wasn't able to see at all. I still haven't been able to see him. You know, I've never been to jail before. Um, I'm in solitary confinement. Um, you know, so when you're in a situation like that, it's just basically you make, you make the best of what you have. And if you've got people there that you can talk to and, you know, that, that you get along with and you use that, mm -hmm. it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter why they're in there. I mean, it's like, you know, that that's your support system. You know, the, the one hour a day that you have to make phone calls is not your support system because the people on the outside, as much as they want to, you know, be helpful and understand what you're going through and stuff like that, you just can't. You really can't. It, it's, it's not anything that's that, you know, being in there, I'm just like, I can't believe I'm in here. I can't believe I'm in here facing five years in prison. And it's, you know, it's, 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 it's scary. Because yeah. you, you have no you have no control. You know the guards the guards run it, run your life. You know you eat when they tell you to, you go to sleep when they tell you to. Um, you know, whatever it is, what it is. All right, guys, I want to take a quick break in the show today to tell you about a great new sponsor that we have. I trust Capital. If you're someone who maybe has a you know an old 401k that you moved into an IRA somewhere when you left a job, you just have the money sitting there. What do you do with it? Try to invest in stocks, whatever other bull crap out there. What if you could invest that money in crypto? Invest it in physical gold and silver? Well, you can do that with iTrust Capital. But with iTrust Capital, you have the tax benefits of an IRA while trading in crypto assets. And on top of that, like I said, you can also have access to buying physical gold and silver into your account. It's, it's amazing. If you sign up using promo code LIONS, at iTrust Capital, you'll get the first month free. Now, iTrust Capital is safe and secure. Uh, they are backed by Coinbase Custody and Curve uh, to secure clients' digital assets. And they have $320 millions of insurance to make sure your funds are safe and secure. On top of that, they are trusted. They have 1,300 reviews on Trustpilot. And they are 100% transparent in their fees, which, you know, I can't really say that about all other IRA providers. Now, whether you're holding your assets long term or you want to buy and sell with the market, iTrust Capital's IRA gives your account or provides the account the lowest transaction fees for buying Bitcoin or other digital currencies. As an iTrust client, you'll be able to log into your account, make trades 24-7, trades execute in real time, and settle in seconds. Um, they offer more cryptocurrencies than any other crypto IRA provider out there, and they're adding more all the time. Go to itrustcapital.com, use promo code LIONS for your first month free. Yeah, and it's it's not a situation where you like did something and then you had a time to think, oh, crap, what happens if I end up going to prison? You're totally blindsided by this, not expecting it, and all of a sudden you're thrown in a cell. Like that's yes. that's in, that's insane. Well, originally I was I was charged originally with a class three, with class three felony stalking, um, 
which is under Arizona law, that's stalking where the victim is it, it believes that they're going to be killed. Um, and so that was my original charge. Um, and that's, that's, that's up to five years, I think, is what you can get for that. Um, on June 16th, the case was submitted to the grand jury, and they indicted on Class 5 stalking, which was just emotional distress stalking. Um, so, you know, even the grand jury knew. I'm, I'm, I don't want to get too much into it, but. Yeah, no, uh, you, you don't have to. I don't want to. Yeah. There, there, you know, you there, there, is, there's no case. There's no case. Mm-hmm. But, you know, even after being reduced to a class five, it's like, okay, well, that's two and that's still two and a half years. You know, that's, really? that's a long time. Yeah, that's a long time. Now, w- would they count your, you know, 90 some days served towards? Yeah, that, that yeah, that would have been that would have been counted in, in uh, as time served. Um, and then, you know, whatever, whatever time it would have taken waiting for trial and stuff like that, that all counts. Um, you know, so if I had not bonded out, you know, and, and, you know, for some reason I went to trial and I was convicted, um, I probably would have only ended up doing four or five months because I would have done, you know, a year and a half in, mm-hmm. in county jail. But it's like, you know, I don't want to do a year and a half in county jail. <laughs> I don't want to do any time in county jail. I don't want to do any time in, in state prison. Hold on one second. Yeah, to, totally understand that. So, okay. I mean, I don't know if this is connected at all, or maybe you don't want to comment on it, but do you think at all the way that you were treated had anything to do with the mask mandate? Yeah. Yep. I know exactly where you're going with this. So check this out. Um, So the mask, the mask lawsuit, uh, the Arizona Supreme Court considered it. Um, They, they did not accept jurisdiction, but uh, in the order, they specifically said that I can file it in superior court. And start to start at the bottom because I went straight to the Arizona Supreme Court. I didn't start in Superior Court, um, which is which is allowable, but you have to. It's a very high burden to take the case directly to the Arizona Supreme Court. So they told me, you know, you can refile it in Superior Court. Um, <clears throat> a couple <clears throat> a couple weeks after that, though, the governor rescinded the um, executive order that allows uh, cities and counties to create mask orders. So. Um, I waited for a little while to see what the city was going to do, see if they were going to resend their mask order, and they they refused. So their mask order is is still is still up, and it's an open violation of the governor's executive order. May I want to say it was May fifth. Um, I called the mayor's office, and I told them that I was intending to refile uh, the mask lawsuit in superior court, um, and I asked you know for someone to call me back and see if we could come to some kind of agreement as to when, you know, this mask it, mask order is going to end so that I don't have to file suit. I got no callback. Um, but a few days later, um, this case, it, this is when this case appeared on the detective's desk because my ex-wife made the false report. I guess I shouldn't say false report because that's slanderous. Um, my, my ex-wife made her report on February 11th. And mm-hmm. the police department did nothing about it until the beginning of May, right after I called the city, when all of a sudden this case drops on the detective's desk. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, because there just, there wasn't, there wasn't any evidence in a report. There was, there was nothing, yeah. you know, there was, there was nothing, nothing there and nothing to go on. But, you know, I called the city and I say, look, I'm going to file a suit again. And then all of a sudden, oh, this case is back on. And now it's on the detective's desk and other they're talking about getting search warrants and, and, you know, all this other stuff. Um, and I have spoken with a lot of attorneys, people, attorneys that I've met on Twitter and um, attorneys out here since I've been out. And all of them but one said, it looks very much like, you know, this whole arrest, indictment, prosecution was politically motivated because I was held on $50,000 bond. And the Arizona bond is not like other states. So in other states, you get a fifty thousand bond. You go to a bondsman. You pay ten percent. You pay five grand. You get out. That's not how it works in Arizona. So mm-hmm. my bond, my bond equivalent for for other states was five hundred thousand dollars. That's what it would have been in California, you know, because a five hundred thousand bond is is you're paying ten percent to the bondsman, so you're paying fifty grand. My my bond was basically fifty grand cash. Um, and so you know, I had no violent priors. I had no felony priors. Um, I had never made any threats against my ex-wife ever, um, you know, 
there was there was not even an allegation that I had made threats um, other than threats of legal action. I mean, that was the only threats mm-hmm. that they articulated was was threats of legal action. Um, and so, I mean, I have two minor misdemeanors in my in my record from more than twenty years ago. That's the extent of my criminal history. You know, I've lived in this town for eight years, uh, employed full time as a paralegal. My family's here. My mom's here, and. Fifty grand is what they put. It was what they put my bond at. Um, and the funny thing is, is when I was in jail, I attended a uh, a bond because in jail you do in custody uh, hearings. Um, so you're sitting there with all the other inmates while they do their hearings. And a guy that robbed a gas station, saying he had a bomb in his backpack, had a standoff with the police, and then resisted arrest, got a ten thousand dollar bond. And it's, yeah, yeah. And I have his name. I have his name written down because I'm, I'm going to reference this, you know, in my upcoming litigation yeah. uh, related to this. But I mean, it was pretty obvious that it was uh, politically motivated because, you know, all of the timeline and the circumstances and, and just, you know, the detectives literally fabricated evidence. I mean, they, it, it's, it's provable. Um, I can prove mm-hmm. that they fabricated evidence, um, you know, and it's like, why, why are you going after me for this? You know, what, what, why are you coming down with, with the hammer of Thor with 50,000 bond and seeking class three indictment and all this other stuff for a case that, that, you know, they sat on for months and did nothing about. Well, it's pretty. Obvious. Right. Right. If, and if it was, if it was really, you know, a, uh, potentially, you know, violent situation. If your ex-wife was in fear for her life, why are the cops just sitting there doing nothing? Exactly. They never advised her to get an order of protection. They never advised her not to have custody exchanges alone with me. Um, you know, they never. And you, you had several or a couple custody exchange. Oh, I guess maybe we shouldn't talk about this. I'm getting into the case. Yeah, shouldn't, shouldn't do that. Sorry. No, I'll say we had, we had, we had, we had months and months and months of custody exchanges, um, you know, without any police present, you know, you can, you can request a civil standby, um, you know, at the police during custody exchanges, but there were none, you know, there, there, there just never happened. Um, you know, it's pretty obvious that, that based on those factors, there never wasn't here, you know, there, I, I will say this because it's going to be a matter of public record. Um, so uh, one day after my ex-wife filed her, her police report, um, you know, alleging stalking, um, my son told me that he wanted to have uh, his birthday dinner with both his parents. Because I, I was scheduled to have my son um, the evening of the 14th, February 14th, which is his birthday. And I was going to make a birthday dinner for him and everything like that. And he told me that he wanted uh, myself and his mother there. And mm-hmm. so I said, I'm fine with that, but I don't think, you know, I, that's up to your mom. Um, and so I reached out to her and I said, you know, our son wants to know if you want to come to his birthday dinner that I'm making. Um, and she's like, sure, sure. I would love that. Um, she's, you know, but she said, but I am trespassed from your home. I had her trespassed from my home a year before because she showed up uninvited and wouldn't leave. Um, so I had to have the police trespass her. Um, so I agreed to waive the trespass and then she came over, we had dinner, uh, February 14th. My son had his cake and I cooked and all that. And then she left. And that was, you know, three days after she filed the stalking report. And it's like, um, it's very clear that you are not afraid of me and that you have no reason to be afraid of me because, you know, a reasonable person doesn't say I'm terrified of being killed by this person. Let me go to their house alone for dinner. Right. You know, it it just doesn't make any sense. Um, but yeah, I kind of got off track there. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's, that's fine. Um, so, so you're, you filed suit now. So who, who have you filed suit against? Well, I haven't filed suit yet. I have filed a notice of claim, which is a precursor to a suit essentially under Arizona law. Um, you have to set forth the facts, uh, supporting a claim for damages. Um, you know, what happened, why you're entitled to damages, what rights were violated. Uh, and so I did that and I'm, I am, um, I am alleging 
and I think you'll like this. I'm alleging violations of my first, second, fourth, eighth, and fourteenth amendment rights. Um, this is really interesting. One of the reasons, um, hmm. one of the, so essentially, so the first amendment claim is based on retaliation. So I'm arguing that I was indicted for making threats of legal action against my ex-wife and courts, Supreme court, you know, appellate courts have, have held over and over and over that threats of legal action are protected speech. You are allowed to threaten legal action against somebody. You are allowed to say, mm-hmm. I'm going to sue you, or if you don't do this, I'm going to sue you. That is protected speech. Because a lawsuit is, is a per se petition for a redress of grievances. That's what it is. It's right there in the First Amendment. Petition the government for mm-hmm. redress of grievances. That's a lawsuit. Um, so I'm arguing that um, I was retaliated against for exercising my First Amendment right to threaten legal action um, because the detectives... Uh, you know, at the grand jury, they talked about how I made all these threats to my ex-wife. And the grand jurors were asking them, well, what were the nature of the threats? And the detectives finally admitted, well, they were they were just threats for legal action. And the grand jurors, again, are like, so there were never threats of violence. And they were like, well, no, don't show any threats of violence. So, you know, I was indicted in retaliation for exercising my First Amendment right. Um in the uh, probable cause affidavit for my arrest and in the testimony before the grand jury, the detectives uh, alleged that I owned a lot of firearms um, and that this constituted a threat to my wife. So I'm arguing Second Amendment claim as well, Second mm-hmm. Amendment retaliation. I have the right to own guns. You can no more use my lawful gun ownership when it's unconnected to any threats or any violence or anything illegal. You can no more use that secure an indictment then you could say i'm a muslim or, or i'm a jew like yeah. it's the same thing you cannot criminalize constitutionally protected activities and that's exactly what they tried to do you know oh he's he made threats he he owns guns and it's like i made legal threats i i all my firearms are, are legal you know i i'm not accused of any of, of any firearms related activities or even violent activities mm-hmm. Fourth Amendment is obvious on the fabricated evidence. Um, I won't get into that too much right now. It's pretty complicated. Uh, Eighth Amendment, uh, excessive bail, because the uh, detective fabricated evidence and specifically requested a high bond amount and that I be kept in custody. And there's there's case law that says when the police um, improperly influence the bail decision of a judge, that they are liable for Eighth Amendment, um, you know, Eighth Amendment violations with regard to to bail. So I'm realizing that, and then Fourteenth Amendment is, is you know sort of the catch-all. Um, you know, it covers depraved indifference, uh, um, you know, reckless conduct and violating rights, um, constant shocking behavior, and all of that was mm-hmm. in, you know all of that. Was in there. Um, so I served a an 11 page notice of claim. Normally a notice of claim is just two pages, but I did a deep dive into all the case. I want, I wanted them to know, you know, exactly that I, that I, I have their number. Like I know, you know, I, I basically did you laid have it a, out. Did you have a legal counsel help you with this or you did it all yourself? I know you've no, done I this did. in the past, obviously, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, I did it myself. Um, you know, it's sort of become a hobby of mine at this point, you know, <laughs> doing stuff like this. Um, but you know, I wanted them to be on notice that, you know, I knew exactly what they did. I knew exactly how my rights were violated and that, you know, they can either, um, pay my settlement demand, which is $500,000 or, you know, in 60 days I can file suit. And so I served this notice on the city, the police department, the chief of police, the deputy chief, the detective, lieutenant, uh, both detectives, um, and then other other officers, you know, unknown, unnamed. Uh, so I ended up, I spent sixty dollars in uh, certified mailing fees to mail all these letters out. Um, I mean, you know, it's required. I have to do it. I have to serve the notice of claim before I can file suit. Yeah. Um, and then I did send a copy of the notice of claim because I'm self-representing my criminal case now. Um, you know, I have I have advisory counsel. Um, who's there to, you know, I can, I can bounce ideas off of and who, you know, helps me with the framework. Um, but, you know, I'm self-represented. So 
you know, when I when I file something or I'm requesting a stipulation, I'm I'm emailing the, the prosecutor. You know, it's it's not like my attorney is emailing the prosecutor, so I'm doing this directly. Um, which is really strange, you know, to, to email the person that's trying to put you in prison. <laughs> but um, yeah, so I, I I emailed him and I, I um, attached a copy of the notice of claim and just said, you know, just FYI, this notice notice of claim was served. Um, you know, I want him on notice of mm-hmm. the fact that he's, you know, they can't win this case. This is not a winnable case. Um, it's just it's not. It's not most likely not even going to go to trial. Um, it's most likely going to be dismissed with prejudice. Um, I won't get into strategy or anything like that, but yeah. you know, the, the advisory council I have is, is in agreement um, you know, that this, first of all, is a case that should have never been brought to the grand jury. Um, you know, that is just rife with police misconduct. So, you know, maybe, I'll, maybe I'll get a, a, a nice little windfall out of this. Uh, maybe I won't, but you know me, man, I'm not going to give up, you know? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And if you do get a windfall from it, I mean, you already, I mean, you already have a, a book you could write about it too. So that's, uh, <laughs> yeah, that's pretty, pretty incredible. People, people were telling me to write, you know, to write a book about this. Um, you know, I was thinking about it, you know, just because my, my jail experience was just so weird, you know, it's just, it's so weird to be on the other side. You know, you, you watch shows mm-hmm. about jail and stuff like that, and you think you have a pretty good idea, and you get in there, and you're like, this is really nothing like like I thought it would be, for better or worse. You know, there were some days in there where I was having so much fun with, you know, with my friends in there, the guys. Like, we had we had our, we had Sunday night slow jams, and so we'd all take turns singing 90s R&B on Sunday nights, and the, the all of the guys in the tier above us would all get quiet to listen to us singing and they, they would, cause you could talk to the upstairs through the air vents and so they yelled down requests for us to sing. Um, <laughs> so we had our Sunday night slow jams and, you know, we did at one point, uh, my, myself, um, you know, the guy that I met, that's not my best friend and another guy, we had a, we had a jail slumber party where we pulled our mattresses onto the floor next to our cell doors and we just laid there. <laughs> we were talking like two in the morning. You you mentioned I'm, I'm curious. You mentioned at the beginning how you were having a, a really difficult time at the beginning of your your stay, and then things changed. Was that just did that just happen around you know meeting the the other you know some of the other your, your people you became friends with, or was there anything like was there a, a point in time or something that occurred that you know made it a little more tolerable and you started to actually enjoy your time. Um. Mostly, honestly, it was, uh, it was meeting those guys. Um, you know, it, it, it's a lot different, you know, going at something alone, something new and scary alone versus, you know, when you've got friends and you've got support. So a, a small part of it was just me accepting the situation and, you know, that there was nothing I could do uh, to change it. And that, you know, basically I was stuck there until, you know, until I was out. And it was not, you know, it was not anything in my control. Um, but really, it was it was making friends that made the difference between just despair and, you know, having days where I'm like, you know, if I had to go to prison with these guys for a couple of years, I might be okay with that. <laughs> and that's really how it ended up. It's like, you know, you just, when you're with people 24 hours a day and, and you know, you got to be around them, it's, it's you learn, you learn very quickly, you know about them and, and who they are yeah well i mean I, i'll just i'll just add to that you know it's, it's pretty common that uh you know people when they do spend time in jail if it's if it's a few months or if it's several years that you know the people that you you are in in prison with incarcerated with or in jail with they, they become like family because that's, that's that's the only people you see so that's i mean i've heard a lot of people you know pass on that same sentiment and not only that, like like you were talking about how your friend who has this sentencing coming up and you're gonna you're gonna be speaking on behalf of him, um, you know it's I've heard people do similar things and it's like you're you're going to advocate you know almost for like a like a family member just because of uh, you know the shared the shared experience that that you know the, that you've been through. So that's I, that's I exactly that's, it. It's pretty common. It it you know it. 
it just it was not something that I was at all expecting. Um, it's just, you know, and, and yeah, he, he is like a family member now. He's like a brother to me, um, you know, and, and I, I used to wonder how people could, could do like 15 years in prison. I always thought, you know, oh my God, if I, you know, got rung up on some bogus charges and ended up having to do years in prison, you know, like, oh man, I would just kill myself. Or something. It's like, you know, after, after experiencing it, like okay that's how they that's how they do it they have friends they have support you know i guess i had to get it out of my head this whole judgy thing about uh, people that are in jail you know that they're all bad because it's like mm-hmm. well hey you know i was in jail and uh, you know innocent people um do get, do get arrested do get charged yeah and, and and even like you said before i mean even people who aren't innocent make a mistake that doesn't exactly. mean that everything about them is bad. It means they made a mistake. Maybe they did one bad thing or, or you know, did something one time to harm someone. It doesn't mean that their entire character or personality is, is now bad. Exactly. So, so I, I, will, I will offer this caveat, though. Um, I did not extend that courtesy to people that were in there for uh, child molestation. Um, true, yeah. I, I, I There's just, a line on that. Yeah, there was a there was a guy uh, in upstairs here, and he was in there for for a child molesting. And you know, as soon as I found out about that, I was like, well, you know, that guy can go to hell. I'm not talking to him. I don't, you know, whatever. Yeah, he was pretty much shunned anyway by by all the other inmates. Um, you know, he was he was threatened all the time. And I don't, I don't, you know, I don't agree with like beating people up in jail to exact vengeance because that's supposed to be the purpose of of the justice system. You know, but you know, on some level, it's like, yeah, I, I do see where you're coming from. You know, it's, it's, it's a disgusting thing. And, and you know, it's, just, mm-hmm. it's not something that I can say, well, you made a mistake. <laughs> I just, you know, that's a whole nother, that's a whole nother yeah. uh, topic for another time. No, I, I definitely, definitely agree with you there. And, uh, well, like you were talking about before, like the, the crazy, the, the bail amount that, that you had to pay, and the time that, that you would have served with, with the you know the first thing that, that you were initially uh, charged with might have been even more than someone who comes in with a, a child molestation charge, which is ridiculous. That's how it, messed up our justice system is. But um, yeah, well, it was that's, that's a, <laughs> that guy. That guy. That child molester had in fact bonded out. Um, he was he was rearrested because he didn't show up for a hearing. So he had bonded yeah. out. I think his bond. I think his bond was twenty thousand. Um, it's crazy, you know. Yeah. I, I, you know, I would tell people what my bond was, and they'd be like, "What did you do? What are you in here for?" And I'm like, uh, "It's just some, some BS." Um, but you know, they all thought I was in there for <laughs> something really serious. Um, so that might have been some of the that might have been some of the, the respect um, that I got from the other inmates, because um, you know, a lot of inmates they don't they don't talk about their charges. Um, you know, and the ones that do are usually the ones that are, that are bragging about it. You're just like, well, I don't know why you're bragging about this. Like, dude, you got mm. caught, first of all. <laughs> um, you know, second of all, you're going to prison for a long time. Um, but yeah, I, I found that uh, saying saying a very little about yourself is, is the best way to sort of, you know, fit yourself in. You know, you don't want to, you don't want to, talk about yourself or your family until you know people. I mean, it's, it really sort of goes without saying, but I did see some people that would go, that would come in there that were new inmates and would just be like, oh, blah, 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 and my life, blah, blah, blah. And it's like, dude, you're talking to, you know, you don't know who you're talking to. It's probably yeah. chill on that. Yeah, that, t- that totally makes sense. Some some people, though, that's like, that's hard for them to turn that off because that's like, that's like, all they know how to do is just talk, 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 talk. Yeah. Like some people don't have don't, some people don't have internal dialogue. It's just like right. everything spills out. So yeah, you get a person like that, yeah, they could end up. In, <laughs> yeah. But Joe, we're, we're uh, almost out of time here, but I want you to uh, you know plug some things. Obviously, tell people how to follow you on Twitter for one, and also um, is the GoFundMe is that still that's still ongoing? It is still ongoing because um, I'm still planning on retaining qualified counsel. But the problem is, is that right now I'm in the, the pretrial litigation stage and, um, you know, to pay for an attorney to do the litigation work that this case needs, 
would be very expensive, like twenty or thirty thousand um, dollars. So you know, I I am planning on hiring an attorney. I'm not one of these morons. It's like, yeah, I'm gonna take this to trial because you know, I'm I'm not a criminal defense attorney. Taking a criminal case to trial would be stupid. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, the GoFundMe for legal fees and attorney is up. Um, I, I don't know. My mom was running all that when I was in jail, so I don't know what that was. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll link but, to it on the show notes page. If, if you just go, also, if you just go to you know GoFundMe.com and just type in Joe McGee, it'll, I'm sure it'll come up. Um, yeah, the good call. URL is Joe McGee Political Prisoner uh, Release. <laughs> so. Oh, wow. um, but I mean, I, I read that. I'm like, yeah, that's exactly what you what you are, what you were, is a political prisoner. So that's, yeah. I think, it's probably, uh, I might title the episode that. <laughs> nice, I like it. And also, uh, if you listeners or watchers, whatever, uh, want to follow me on Twitter, my Twitter handle is azfakelawyer. Um, you know, my account's private, but if you send a request, I will most likely accept it. Um Unless you clearly appear to be a weirdo, but um, or a fed, yeah, or <laughs> yeah, or law enforcement, or my ex-wife, or you know, bill collectors, whatever. All right, man. Well, uh, thanks for coming on the show and you know sharing what you've been through here. Uh, it's been uh, it's hard to even imagine, you know, sitting here listening to your story. It's hard to even imagine it happening. But uh, <laughs> I mean, there's people, there's people out there. This stuff happens all the time. So it does. when I get a chance to have someone on like you who's, who's been through this and can share a firsthand account, it's important because, I mean, there's someone who will listen to this or watch it who has a, a friend or family member, maybe themselves, who are, are going through something similar. Right, right. And, uh, yeah, you don't want to go to jail. Just I'm just going to put that out there for, for your listeners. Stay out of jail. It's not fun. It's, you know, it's just it's, it's a horrible place. <laughs> Yeah, even if you make new friends. Yeah, it's still- even if you make really, really good friends, you know, still you wake up every morning and you're like, yep, I'm still here and I don't know when I'm getting out. Yeah. Well, let's uh, let's hope you don't go back and we'll keep, uh, you know, we'll keep uh, the status of your, your lawsuit and, uh, and everything and I'll keep the audience filled in and uh, maybe we'll have you back on in a few months or whenever things uh, get to the next step or get wrapped up. Yeah, sounds good. I'll buy that. All right. Thanks again, Joe. Thank you. Take care. We're going to take a, a quick break here. I want to tell you about another awesome podcast. And I know you're you're thinking to yourself, John, I don't need another podcast. There's so many podcasts. I'm here to tell you, you do. You do need another podcast. You need to listen to Good Morning Liberty with Nate and Charlie. Um, these are two guys that bring a fresh take to the Liberty Conversation. Um, they have a background in healthcare. They're entrepreneurs. They, uh, they're they very educated in, in finance and markets and the stock market. They run a really interesting current events style show that keeps it uh, funny and entertaining. You definitely don't want to miss their segment every Friday, The Dumb Bleep of the Week. They do five shows per week. They're bringing you great content. Good morning, Liberty. Check them out. Okay, want to tell you also, about friend of the show, longtime supporter of Lions of Liberty, Tyler Colford, aka Crypto Man, and uh, his new track, his new song, First World Problems. If you haven't heard it, going to play a clip of it in just a minute here. In the song, Tyler doesn't hold back. He he rips into cancel culture, grifters, inflation. It's a really good song. It's a really fresh take. Please, wherever you listen to your music, be it Spotify, iHeartRadio. Please go and uh, like and follow Crypto Man so you get all his music. Support our friend Tyler, a, uh, a guy out there who is fighting for liberty, uh, fighting that cultural battle. And uh, I'm going to play a clip of that new song right now. Check it out. Cost of education when internet is free. Blind Thanks for tuning in, guys, for another edition, another episode of Finding Freedom here on the Lions of Liberty podcast. And, you know, for those of you who've been listening to our shows, to this feed for a while, you know that we have 
more than one show. We have our Monday show with Mark, our Wednesday show with Brian, and uh, we wrap things up every Thursday with Finding Freedom. But you might not know that we have bonus shows that we do, especially this time of the year. We have every single week during football season, we have Degenerate Gamblers with uh, myself and Brian and Rico breaking down uh, fantasy football, breaking down weekly spreads in college and pro sports, and uh, talking about what games we gamble on, and uh, talking about our Degenerate Gambling League we have with our Pride members. And we also have Conspiracy Corner. It's another bonus show we have. Plus, you get access to early shows. You can watch shows live. And... You can now join on either Patreon or Locals. Patreon, of course, is patreon.com slash lionsofliberty. And Locals is lionsofliberty.locals.com. You can join. We have different levels, different memberships where you get more access, more merchandise. We have uh, monthly calls if you get up to the $25 level and up. At the $50 level, you get to influence a show. So check that out. I would love to have you. It's a growing community. Of course, we have our our private Facebook group and uh, we have a uh, Discord. um, Lots of different ways to get involved in this growing community with the Lions of Liberty as we are working hard to advance the ideas of Liberty Forward, to advance self-sufficiency, to advance um, uh, this lifestyle of taking control of your life. So If you'd like to be a part of that, we would love to have you. Uh, Please join us and uh, continue listening every single week. You can do that by subscribing on whatever podcasting app you're listening on and giving us a uh, five-star rating and leaving a nice review, which helps us out as well. So this is John Odermatt signing off. Always remember to keep your head up and the fire's liberty burning. (laughs) 